Thank you for being here on a Wednesday night. I'm going to go to uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and then we'll probably flip backwards. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 12, somebody came up to me tonight and said, are you preaching? And when somebody asked me that, to be honest with you, my concept of preaching is my dad. So you've got to yell, stomp, spit, you know, all that kind of stuff to be a preacher, and it just doesn't happen when it's me. So we'll do whatever it is, but I don't know that you'll call it preaching. Uh, but it's a privilege to uh, be able to speak to you tonight, and I don't take that lightly. And uh, thanks so much for Pastor for trusting me just to step up in front of you and deliver something from the Lord, and that's what we want to do tonight. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read it because if I don't, it'll come out halfway NIV and halfway King James Version. You're all going to be wondering which version I'm reading from. So it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So, Father, I come before you tonight. God, thank you for delivering this message to me. Help me to deliver it, Lord, to your people. God, to strengthen and to encourage your people tonight. God, we pray for our pastors. God, that you would give them the grace and the peace as they're away tonight. Let your presence be felt wherever they go, Lord. Go before them and behind them. Be their sun. Be their shield, Lord. We thank you for all that you're doing and what you're going to accomplish tonight. Lord, give me uh, clarity of thought, Lord, and speech, Lord. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, you know, sometimes when uh, a person comes and, and ministers or preaches or teaches, it's an exegetical type of message. It's a verse-by-verse verse type of thing, and guess what? That's not what we're doing tonight. So it's going to be more conceptual than it's going to be exegetical. I hope that's okay. It's not verse-by-verse verse kind of thing. But I do think it's interesting, and, uh, you know, sometimes it's, it's okay to be a little different. And uh, so as we read this passage in chapter 12, it, we can understand that the writer of Hebrews, he's got in mind this great, giant, cosmic coliseum. And there's all these people of the faith that are in the stands, and they are cheering those of us who are still alive, those of us who are still running the race, those of us who are still part of the game of life. Uh, they're cheering us on and helping us to remember that, hey, we made it. We're looking forward to Jesus. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You keep doing what he's called you to do. You keep doing what you're, no, you're supposed to do, and they're cheering us on. And man, what an incredible analogy that is. And so we know that the Hebrew... Uh, the writer of Hebrews, he sees that incredible illustration. We know that Paul, if he didn't write Hebrews, and I kind of think that he probably didn't, that's my personal opinion, it's just kind of different than his other writings. We know that Paul understood this illustration as well. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, we know some famous passages that we're going to look at. Uh, he tells Timothy, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is a store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who have longed for his appearing. Man, I'm longing for his appearing. And I got to tell you tonight, I think we're closer today than we've ever been. That's an obvious statement, right? It's always a little bit closer. He's coming, and if he's coming, we're a little closer today than ever. But I got to tell you, I think we're the generation that gets to see him. 
I think we're the generation, young and old, if you're alive and breathing today, I think most of us that are living right now are going to get to hear a trumpet sound. I believe that, and I believe that we have to live that way whether I'm right or not. And so Paul also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. What's Paul talking about? He's going into strict training. Man, I'm getting in shape. I'm doing the very best that I can for the Lord. I'm praying. I'm waiting on God. I'm getting into his word. I'm spending more time with him, and I'm gearing up, not giving up, in this game of life, not giving up in this race. And so, man, you know, this, this illustration, this analogy that Hebrews and the writer and Paul, what, what they see is it's just too good an illustration not to use. And, you know, this being fall and late fall, in my opinion, it's the greatest sports time of the year. I mean, there's pro football going on. You got pro, or you got uh, uh, college ball going on. My personal favorite. You got pro basketball just now starting. You know, baseball just ended, and what an incredible uh, series that was. And so, for my personal opinion, sports. When it comes to that, this is my favorite time of year. And for all of you ladies that keep rolling your eyes and says, if he mentions sports one more time, well. It could have been fishing, okay, because that's a good illustration too, but we're doing sports tonight, all right? And so Paul uses this illustration. And so I thought, you know, uh, my teams aren't doing that good. Cowboys are doing all right, but you can, you know, I, I, I can never trust Jerry. You just never know what he's going to do. And so I thought, let's just do two of my favorite things. Let's talk about my favorite subject, the Bible, and let's throw in some good illustrations about sports, my favorite pastime, and go from there. And so spiritually speaking, we are competing in this game. And we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. And so let's flip back over to Hebrews chapter 11. Begin to think about all the great heroes that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. We call it the faith chapter, uh, where someone great to us today is mentioned in a small synopsis or mention of their accomplishments. We could call this God's champions. We could call this, you know, great men and women who accomplished great things for God. We could give it all kinds of titles and descriptions, but let's just look at it. What names jump out at you? There's Abel and there's Enoch. I mean, a man who walked with God and all of a sudden was not. There's Noah, built an ark, took hundreds and hundreds of years to do it, and yet he hung on doing what God asked him to do. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Isn't it interesting that he mentions the walls falling down, but Joseph uh, or Joshua didn't get his name mentioned in there. That's, I wonder if Joshua had a little talk with somebody uh, up in heaven when he got there, going, hey, you mentioned the event, but forgot to mention my name. Rahab, Gideon, Barak. Isn't it interesting that Barak gets mentioned, but Deborah does not? Deborah is the prophetess that goes up to Barak and says, hey, God has chosen you. And he says, I can't do it unless you go with me. She says, okay. I think she's kind of thinking, you scaredy cat. In that case, I'll go ahead and do it. I'll go with you. But a woman's going to get, uh, you know, accredited for the victory on this one. And that's exactly what happened. What an incredible story. Deborah should have got mentioned there. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. 
Now think about it as we look at all these people that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Tell me how many famous people are mentioned there famous before they did something great, famous before God used them. How many celebrities, how many models, how many, you know, incredible uh, musicians or actors or stars, how many important people? I mean, Moses was a murderer and then he ran away. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of his family and nobody thought anything about him. Barak, he was hesitant. And so the credit went to a woman. Samson, we know he had strength, but he was terrible at making wise decisions. Jephthah made a terrible, terrible vow to the Lord and evidently kept that vow and read into it all you want. I, I, I just don't know what to think when I think of that story. What really happened at the end? Terrible vow. And yet here they are mentioned as great people of faith. Great people of faith. But Truth of the matter is, they're just regular people with really big flaws, really big problems. And yet, here they are mentioned as great people of faith. God didn't choose them because they were already great. God didn't choose them because they had great brains or they had big muscles or they were really good looking. God didn't choose them for those things. He chose them because they made themselves available. And he saw something in them that other people didn't see. So we talked about this, you know, in our life groups just this last week. So, uh, you know, pastors talked about this to some degree. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, we know that the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, talking about one of David's brothers, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And God is looking at our hearts. So when we think about David, you know, uh, what comes to mind? We think about uh, all the things that David did, especially the prayer that David had. And more than anything, I think about, you know, David and the giant. And I've been warped to some degree because I can't help but think about David and the giant without thinking of a giant pickle with no arms and boxing gloves. And then I see Junior Asparagus walking up uh, to, uh, I'm talking about VeggieTales for those of you that don't know. And I just can't help but see that, you know, that's forever in my mind now. But, uh, you know, First Samuel chapter 17, what an incredible, incredible story. Can you imagine if ESPN had covered that event back then? They would have brought all these people in and talked about, you know, how big Goliath was. And, and it wouldn't be, you know, kind of ambiguous as it is to us today. Was he nine feet tall? Was he 13 feet tall? How tall was he? We don't know. ESPN would have found out for us, and it would have been there. And then they would have brought all these other, you know, famous professional other giant killers to come in and give their opinion about how this is supposed to work out. You know, they would have told us exactly how much the spear weighed, exactly how many people were on their side, exactly how many people was on God's side, the 40 days of challenges and blaspheming, uh, you know, God, and then this giant comes out and no one goes out to stop him, and here comes David. And when David shows up, nobody saw a giant killer. When David showed up, nobody saw somebody that God was about to use. They just saw a boy. And they begin to make fun of him, begin to ask him, how come you're here? What are you doing here? What do you know? You're just a boy. And we know the story. You know it as well as anyone else. You know, but what about if it had happened like in another time, in another setting? Would somebody have said to David, you're too old? Would somebody have said to David, you're, you're too unskilled, you're too unimportant, you don't know, you know, all these other excuses because that's how people see things. But God looks at things in a different way. 
And so we know the stories. David walks out to face Goliath. Everyone is thinking, this kid, he's going to get himself killed. You know, he's walking out to the giant with just a few stones and a slingshot. And we know that uh, Goliath says, you know, do you think that I'm, I'm just a dog that you can come out here and poke with a stick? And, and uh, David goes, no, but with the power of God, I am going to do what God has asked me to do. And so he takes that stone and that sling, and he slings it around, and he hits Goliath in the only place that I think there was no armor, the only place that could possibly be hit, right in the forehead, and we know it does its business. And even then, as Goliath begins to sway, I wonder if most of God's people on the Israelite side were going, I don't know if that's enough. I don't know if that was enough. I, I can't believe that actually happened, but I don't know if that was enough. And David does something incredible. He goes over to that body that's laying down on the ground. He takes Goliath's own sword, takes it out. And this is kind of gross for some of you ladies, but he takes that head off. And still nobody has recognized the giant killer until he walks back to camp holding the head of Goliath. When David walked up to the camp holding some, you know, some meat or, or some bread and some cheese, bringing a sack lunch to his brothers, nobody recognized the giant killer. But when he goes back to camp holding a head, everybody recognized there's a giant killer. They begin to see him differently. Nobody recognized him until he came back. He was just a boy from nowheresville, but he won the battle and the day for the Lord, and God got the glory for it. When he first walked up, nobody recognized him. But when he walked back, everybody saw a giant killer. I think back, it's over 20 years ago, I was working in Farmington, New Mexico, Four Corners area. If you like to ride in Jeeps and, and th that kind of thing, that is the place that you want to be. If you've ever, you know, saw the commercials where this, there's this Jeep on top of this barren mountain and you go, how in the world did they get this Jeep up there? I'm about to tell you how they did it. So we got a call one day and said, hey, I want you to come with me and I'm going to take you out on the trails and the mountains and we're just going to have a good time. I said, man, that sounds great. I've done that before. Let's go. Because, you know, we'd been to Colorado and we had done the Jeep trail from Durango to Silverton and it's beautiful, you know, 11,000 to 14,000 feet right there at the tallest mountains. And it's, it's just an incredible, incredible sight. And I thought, well, that's what we're going to do. And we go out and we're going out to the desert mountains. So instead of going north, we kind of go south and west and we're on these desert mountains and we're in this Jeep, and this Jeep needs some paint really, really bad. It, it's, it doesn't look like much of anything at all. But as come to find out, as I'm riding in this Jeep, I realize it's not about the looks, but it's about what's in the Jeep. It's about all the things that's been added to this Jeep. And we're on this edge of this cliff now, and he says, hang on, make sure you're buckled in, grab what you can. And he hits this button, and all of a sudden, I'm looking down, and it's a long ways down right here. There's a tree in front of us, and there's a mountain right here, and it's not enough for a Jeep to drive through on four wheels. And all of a sudden, the Jeep goes, zoop just like this, and now we're on two wheels, and I'm looking straight down, and this guy cannot mess up. I didn't really know this guy. We were new to this church, didn't know what in the world was going on, and he begins to slowly, it would have been better if he could do it fast, so I could close my eyes and then open them, kind of like a ride at Six Flags or something, I close my eyes and it's over, but this is not what he did. He takes his time really, really slow, and he maneuvers on two wheels around this tree, and it's a long ways down, just right outside, and we don't have any doors on this Jeep. I'm going, this this is crazy. And then he takes us up this other thing, and he goes, hang on a second, we're going to go up this hill. And I'm going, you can't, there's no way you can do that. And he does all these incredible things, come to find out, 
I didn't know who he was. I didn't know what was going on, but he was on the covers of all these four-wheel magazines, and he was a celebrity in the area. Well, he told me a story, and he was an older gentleman. He told me a story. He said, it wasn't that long ago that I was out and uh, just doing some of the runs on these mountains, and evidently, if you're the first to do a run on this mountain, you get to name it. And so there's several things out there that he got to name, but there's a place called the steps, the stair steps, and that's exactly what it looks like. It looks like steps going up this desert mountain. And uh, all the teenagers around that area, they don't want uh, sports cars. They want Jeeps because you're not on the in crowd until you can get your own Jeep and take it up the steps. So he pulled up in line. All these guys were going up the steps with their Jeeps, and uh, he watched these younger teenagers that had a brand new Jeep and they were showing it off to these girls that they had with them and they were trying to go up the steps and he watched them as they get halfway up the steps and all of a sudden their Jeep would give out and just kind of fall back down. And he watched them go back up and fall back down. And he watched them go back up and fall back. And he said, well, you know what? I think I'm going to go ahead and see if they'll let me go ahead of them. So he said, I pulled up beside them and he said, do you guys mind if I go ahead of you guys while you're trying to figure out how to get your, your, your Jeep to do this? And he said, he's doing this in as polite manner as possible. And, uh, they said, you think you can make it up there, old man? And he thought, well, I'll go ahead and play along with them. He said, I don't know, but I'd like to try. And they said, okay. So he got up there on these steps, and uh, he looks at them, and he says, girls, would you guys like to ride with me, and, and your boys can, can meet you at the top? They said, yeah, yeah, let's go ride with him. So these girls got in the back of, of, of my friend with, in the Jeep, and he took them straight to the top. And he got out and went on his way, but he said, the last thing I remember is looking at my rearview mirror, and the two girls are standing at the top of the mountain yelling down to their boyfriends, that old man made it up here. How come you can't make it up here? And it's all because people look on the outside, but not on the inside. They had no idea who he was. They had no idea what was underneath his Jeep and how special it was and how much work he had put into it. They had no idea. And that's how God looks at things. He looks a little deeper. He knows what's going inside our hearts. He knows whether or not we're making ourselves available to him or we're holding out on him. He knows that I'm not tall. I'm not nearly as good looking and I don't have nearly as many muscles as I'd like to have. But God says, that's okay. That's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for an available person and that's what I want to do. Make myself available for God. David did that. And that's what I want to do as well. And so I just begin to think about that story and what an incredible time that was for us living out there. The Bible goes on to say that the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon. And the angel of the Lord said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. And the Bible says, Gideon turned around and said, who, me? Who are you talking to? You're talking to me? Because Gideon knew that he was the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of his family and of the tribe, and nobody would be looking to use him. And you know the story as well as I do that he just could not believe that God wanted to use him. He kept putting God to the test. And then he thought, well, maybe I was wrong about that, and let's just reverse the situation and do it again. And God kept coming through for him and kept proving himself to him, and yet nobody recognized even Gideon himself. Nobody recognized a champion until they came back and they brought back spoils from the battle because God saw things a little differently than you or I might look at. And so pretty much everyone here tonight can understand this. I know that Pastor Reese, he's a professional basketball player. I mean, Pastor Reese was a great basketball player. Uh, I played sports, but I can't really brag about anything. But uh, I like doing it. I like watching it. But you know as well as I do that, uh, you know, if you're watching a basketball game, if there are two decent teams, you don't go too crazy at the beginning of a game. 
Now, in football, you know, if somebody scores, the Cowboys scores, if the Sooners score, I'm pretty excited about it. Michael gets more demonstrative than I do about it, but I'm at least inside kind of excited about it. But you know as well as I do, if you're watching a basketball game, you, you know, somebody scored two points in a basketball game, you're not up cheering going crazy. You, that just didn't happen. You know, you're waiting until the last five or six minutes of the game, and that's when things get really exciting. That's when you want to kind of cheer and stand up and clap or however it is that you do or whatever it is that you do, if you do. And so that's what most people would do at the last few minutes of a ball game. And so let's think about that for a second. Let's talk about six critical things at the end of the game. Six critical things that take place at the end of the game. Number one, at the end of the game, every play, every shot, every foul, every second becomes even more critical. And you know, time is running out. Not just in a football game, not just in the season, not just a basketball game, but time is running out in the game of life. Everything you do, everything you don't do becomes even more critical. Every, there, there's no time to waste. There's no time to be lazy. There's no time to be sluggish. There's no time to be un, unprepared. We aren't guaranteed tomorrow. We aren't guaranteed the next day. We can't do anything about yesterday. And when tomorrow finally comes, if it comes, it's the same thing over and over again. We've got to keep working until he comes because we never know when the buzzer is going to go off. We never know when the trumpet is going to sound. Romans chapter 13 verse 11 says this, The hour has come for you to wake up from your sleep because our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Put aside your evil deeds and put on the armor of light. Things today are even more critical than yesterday. And tomorrow will be the same. But we've got to make sure that every day I'm taking advantage of what comes my way to be a hero for God. Number two, what separates a champion from a player is pressure. At the first of the game, you know, it's okay to kind of go ahead and get in your rhythm, get some shots out. Maybe if you're playing, you know, football, they'll, they'll do a, a, a short pass of some kind just to get the quarterback in a rhythm. At the beginning of the game, it's okay to take a little time to get things flowing. But at the end of the game, it begins to matter more and more and more. At the end of the game, you begin to realize that there's certain people who want the ball and there's certain people that would rather not have the ball. And if you're going to be a starter, if you're going to be a champion for God, you know that, God, I want you to be able to trust me. I want you to be able to use me. I want to be out there on the court, on the field, being used for you. And I do believe the last days are here. And as more and more pressure is put on believers, we'll begin to see who wants to take a stand and who will bow out from the pressure. And man, I'm saddened at the way that uh, this young generation is growing up and what I see in the news. And, and I begin to see as a whole what the younger generation, what they value, their lack of morality. And, and at, at growing up, you know, being a youth pastor and a kid's pastor, you just begin to understand that, Lord, we've got to do more. We've got to do a better job. We've got to get across to understanding that Jesus is the only way. And, and it's saddened to watch people that have been leaders of our faith for so long just all of a sudden 
begin to Twitter or put a message out of some kind on Facebook or some kind of social media and say, I no longer believe what I lived for the last 20 or 30 years. I no longer am living that way. I no longer believe that. It's one thing to uh, get discouraged in your work. It's one thing to get discouraged in employment. It's one thing to get discouraged with the world, but to lose your faith. I mean, if you lose your faith, what else do you have to hold on to? What else is left? And Jesus tells the disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, he says, he who endures to the end will be saved. Number three, at the end of the game, the coach always wants to make sure his best players are on the court or on the field. As I begin to think about this, uh, of the six points, this may be the deepest, most confounding of the six points that I've got tonight. So I really want you to think about this. We all go, well, yeah, that's true. The coach wants his best players. The coach wants the best players in the court. He wants them on the field. Whatever the game is, the coach wants the best players out there. He doesn't want his second or third string. As the final seconds are ticking down, he wants the best players out there, those who can handle the pressure, those who are sure of themselves. But think with me about it. So we began this talk tonight, and we thought with the belief that this could be the generation. We could be the very people. We could be the people that hear the trumpet and see Jesus in the sky and go home to be with him. And if that's the case, do you realize that God, a long, long time ago, when he laid the foundations of the earth and he began to plan out what he was going to do, he said, I'm going to start with Adam and Eve, and then I'm going to throw Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in there, and I'm going to go on down and and throw in David in there, and I'm going to throw Paul and Peter and the disciples in there, and we come down to our recent past history, and we could talk about Smith Wigglesworth, and we could talk about David Wilkerson, and we could talk about Billy Graham, and God started here with these people and then God had these people and all of a sudden if God was still writing Hebrews chapter 11 would your name be mentioned today in that same concept isn't it amazing to think that God chose all these people to live at the different times in the times that they lived and yet coming down at the end of the game God says I'm putting you in I'm going God what are you seeing me I, 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 I don't know that I want to be put in the game What pressure there is with that. Lord, are you sure you want me in at the last second? You sure you want one of us taking that final shot? You sure you want to use us? And and what an incredible and a deep and uh, there's just no other way to say it. What a challenging thought to think that in the beginning, God had it all planned out and said, I want this generation at this time. God, don't let me fumble the ball. God, don't let me miss the shot. God, don't let me foul out. Number four, because the coach wants to use his best players at the end of the game, but many times his best players have already fouled out. He can only use his best available players. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, are we disqualifying ourselves? Are we making ourselves unavailable to God? Are we making the wrong choices? Do we have a negative concept about God, about church, about faith, or just a negative concept about ourselves? Are we fouling out of the game in some way and losing focus, not keeping our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith? Are we getting lost in the pressure and not realizing that other heroes are praying for us and cheering us on in this great and grand coliseum? First Peter chapter 5 says this, You know it. Be sober. Be vigilant. 
because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith because the devil wants to disqualify you. The devil wants to disqualify me, but God wants to make you and me a champion. Number five, real champions will play harder even when they don't feel like it. Man, it doesn't matter what you do, you'll eventually get tired of doing it. It doesn't matter what you live or how you live or, or uh, the kind of things that you go through. Eventually, life is going to get you down every now and then. It's going to get you depressed, and we've learned that we've got to keep fighting. The players who win, the players who are champions, the players who God wants to count on, those are the kind of players who know that when life seemingly gets too tough to handle, it's not about me, it's about him. It's not about what I can do in my own strength, it's about what he can do through me because of his strength. Living right now is not always easy. I know that not every day do I feel like a champion. Matter of fact, most of the time, I don't. But I know that I want to be used for God, and God says he will sustain us, and he will give us the help that we need. One of my favorite Old Testament passages, Isaiah chapter 40, says this, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. It makes me want to sing an old song that we used to sing, right? Number six, the coach always tries to save his timeouts for the most critical moments. For the last few minutes of the game, the same is true of us today. Are you taking timeouts to be with the Lord? Are you taking timeouts to spend time with God? Are we taking time out to talk to God, to get into his word? You know, he says, draw close, and he will draw close to us. You know, Jesus said, if you have faith, you will do the things that I do, and greater things will you do. That is one of the most confounding statements that Jesus ever made in the, in the New Testament. I'm thinking, Jesus, you raised people from the dead. Jesus, you did incredible things. I can't do greater things than those things. And I'm not exactly sure of the concept that Jesus is trying to get across to us, but I do know this. Jesus never once said, be healed because I'm Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to make this happen because I'm the Son of God. Because if he did that, then he couldn't tell us, you can do these things as well. The reason Jesus could do those things is because he, didn't, he, he laid down those powers when he left heaven so that he could be just like you and I. The reason Jesus says that you can do those things is because he spent time with the Father a lot. He got away on his own, away from everything else, and would spend all night prayer meetings on a mountain with the Father. And Jesus says, if you'll do those kind of things, if you'll take time out to be with the Father, if you'll take time out to be with me, if you'll take time out to be refreshed and strengthened in me, the things that I've been doing, you can do as well. And it blows my mind to even think that that could be possible, that God could use me. So we need to take advantage of our time out. So Matthew chapter 11, another famous verse, you know it. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
And so tonight we can be encouraged that it doesn't matter how you feel. doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what people see about you on the outside. God is looking for you to see if you would be available on the inside and saying yes to him. And I begin to think, you know, what would be a great way to, to close up this little discussion tonight? And I begin to think of the greatest comeback in NFL history. And it was on Sunday afternoon, January the 3rd, 1993. 1993, man, that was a good time for the Cowboys back then. 1993. I remember the day I was sitting on the couch in my room watching this game. You're going to want to hear this. This is good. History tells us, and I remember because I was watching it, history tells us that the Houston Oilers were whooping up on the Buffalo Bills. Warren Moon and his high-flying receivers, he had four of them, and they had a very unique offense back then. And Warren Moon was carving up the Buffalo Bills, and at halftime, it was 35-3. to To make matters worse, Jim Kelly, the starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills, was hurt and was taken out of the game. At halftime, the coach walked up to a man named Frank Reich, the backup quarterback, and said, you're going in. Frank Reich had never started an NFL game. He had never really gotten much time in on the field ever. But being a believer and being a little nervous, the story goes on to say that he went over to his locker. He opened up his locker. He took out his Walkman. For those of you that don't know what a Walkman is, it's not a disc. It's a case, a cassette. And he put his headphones on and he began to play, and this is what he played. In Christ alone, I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. In every victory, let it be said of me, my source of strength, my source of hope is Christ alone. The story goes on to say that he played that and he listened to it in prayer, put his helmet on, went out on the field, and the end of the story is this. The Buffalo Bills won in overtime to a final score of 41 to 38. When he walked out on that field, all the Buffalo Bills fans, their heads were down. They were dejected. They knew the game was over. They knew the season was over. So much promise throughout the season, and they knew one more time, we're just going to lose because they had already lost two Super Bowls two years before. And they thought, that's it. It's over. Not going to happen again. Frank Reich walked onto the field, won the game for him. When he walked on, nobody saw a champion. When he walked off the field, everybody saw a champion. He took them to the next game in the playoffs. He played. He started. They won. And I'll just stop right there because they played the Cowboys next, but that's just a different story. God saw a hero, and God used him. And God got the glory for it. Most people don't know that story, but that's exactly what happened before he walked out on that field. And I want to challenge you tonight. God is looking at you, and he sees you differently than you see yourself. God's looking at you. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. And God still has plans for you no matter how old you are or how young you are. God's got plans for you. So let's take a time out tonight. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's take a time out. Father, we just want to spend time with you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. 
God, thank you for your encouraging presence, Lord, in this place. So, God, as we just quietly spend time with you, would you speak to our hearts? Would you strengthen our weary souls? God, would you bring peace to a depressed mind, Lord? Whatever it is that we've had to deal with today, what we've dealt with this week, or what we'll have to deal with the rest of the week, Lord God, we just need to find strength in you, Lord, in the middle of the week, a spiritual pick-me-up as we spend time with you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you for your strength. Thank you, God, for seeing us differently than we see ourselves. Thank you for seeing us differently than how other people see us. Lord, we want to be used for you so we make ourselves available to you. Open hearts, open minds, listening to you. And God, we want to be immediately obedient when you speak to us. God, when you throw the ball our way, we want to catch it. When you tell us to shoot, Lord, we want to shoot for you. God, help us, Lord, to always be ready to be used for you, to share a reason for the hope that is within us. And I thank you for it, Lord, tonight. I give you praise, Lord. I give you glory. Help us to make sure, God, we're spending more and more timeouts with you. Lord, do great things through and for every person in this room, through and for every person that's a part of this body. Lord, as you continue to minister, Lord, and use this church, Lord, for this community, we thank you for it tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys for listening tonight. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brother Keith, for that word. Um, I mean, that just spoke to me so much even today, just in my time with the Lord today. There was a lot of things, you know, like Brother Keith said, I know some people will look at me and my stature and they'll think, man, he's a big guy. He's, you know, but trust me, there's days I wake up and I go, God, I can't do it. It's not me. God, how are you, how are you picking me? You know, I'm not that smart. I'm not that great. But isn't it good that God uses normal people? He uses normal people, and so God wants to use us all. Amen? Well, let's just pray and dismiss. So, Lord, I thank you so much for this word that was given tonight. Lord, I thank you for what you put on Keith's heart. Lord, it spoke to my heart very much, Lord, and I know it spoke to others as well, God. God, I thank you that you're calling us to do great work. So I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't have eyes that see what our flesh and our understanding sees, but that we would have an eye, eyes and hearts, Lord, that see and know what you see, God. That we would trust you and your understanding, and we would obey you, God, and, and follow in your ways. And when we do that, Lord, you're going to do amazing, great things with us. Lord, I pray that you just bless us tonight as we travel home. Watch over us. Keep us safe. Father, bless Pastor Childs. Lord, bless his family, God. Pour out your Holy Spirit to them. Protect them, God. Continue to just move and work more and more in him and strengthen him, God. Give him everything he needs today, Father. We love him. We're thankful for him. Thank you for what you're doing, God, in this place. We just worship you for it, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. You're dismissed tonight.